welcome back to episode 22 of the Service Design Podcast. This is the second episode in a series in which we speak to the winners of the Service Design Awards. In this episode, we speak with the winners of Best Commercial Project. From Canada, you'll hear Judy Mellett, Director, Service Design Innovation and Strategy at TELUS. And back on the podcast is Chris Ferguson of Bridgeable. They talk about their successful project of redesigning TELUS's renewal process. And remember, you can submit a project for the Service Design Awards yourself. Submissions will be opening up soon. Enjoy this episode. So uh, welcome to our podcast, uh, Judy and Chris. We're talking to you because uh, you are one of the winners of the Service Design Award in the category uh, Best Commercial Project. And we're speaking to each of the winners to uh, learn all about the project and, of course, to uh, congratulate you on uh, winning this uh, award. But before we get started, could you please uh, introduce yourself both to our listeners? Uh, sure, I can go ahead. I'm Chris Ferguson, and I'm the CEO of Bridgeable, which is a service design consultancy based in Canada. I also teach design at the University of Toronto at the Rotten School of Management, and I'm uh, the co-founder of the Service Design Network in Canada as well. And I'm Judy Mellett. I head up the service design team within TELUS, which is one of three major service providers for telecom, internet, and mobility services here in Canada. We have a number of other smaller players in the market, but we're one of the, the big three, as we call it. And I'm a longtime employee of TELUS, but within the last five years have founded up service design within the consumer product development team. And yeah, we've been going strong ever since and working with close partners such as Chris, Chris's team at Bridgeable to uh, tackle big big and bigger initiatives uh, applying design throughout our organization. And, and I'd say on top of working you know, on big projects at, at TELUS, we're also very involved in building the service design community here in Canada as well. Uh, Judy through a number of different educational programs and initiatives and, and both of us through things like a annual conference that we put on to, uh, to, to boost it. So, so yeah, it's been a great, uh, great partnership for many years now. All right, that's great. And uh, our regular listeners will uh, already know you, Chris, from a few episodes ago. Um, we uh, we were happy to meet you at the Madrid Service Design Conference, and uh, it was great to have a, a in-person chat with you uh, there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you haven't listened to that episode uh, yet, you can go back a few episodes and listen to, uh, to our chat with uh, Chris. Um, and we briefly talk about your project with uh, TELUS in that, but we're going to go into a lot more detail on that today. Yes, and of course, at that moment, you didn't know yet that you won the award. <laughs> so, uh, That's right. Um, it was just before walking in to the auditorium. <laughs> That'll be neat to hear the perspectives of the before and after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember I was almost running late. Like I, I literally walked from our, our podcast in and, and people were up at the front of the stage already lined up. So. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that would be nice for for little listeners to hear both uh, episodes maybe uh, after each other. <laughs> yes. And I also think it's uh, it's really nice that we can have both of you here because uh, I think it's a really strong thing that uh, both the design consultancy and the client can have um, uh, together a uh, conversation in this podcast because that's, of course, uh, also a very important thing in service design that you can collaborate really well. And that's why I think it's great that we also have Judy here uh, and Chris together on the podcast podcast. Uh, I think it's a nice, uh, nice thing. <laughs> well, thank you for having us. <laughs> Could you uh, uh, explain briefly to our listeners uh, for which project you uh, won the award? What uh, did you do in the, in the project and why did you uh, win this award for, uh, for this one? I can start and then Chris, how about you um, top up? So as I mentioned in the introduction, we had been growing service design, starting with small projects at TELUS. And as many other, we've heard similar stories with other 
internal organizations or teams that are, are starting service design. We had started small and then increasingly took, increasingly took on more complex and broader and more business impacting um, endeavors. And the renewals one in particular was a real hallmark for us because it represented, I believe at that point in time, perhaps the largest and largest, I mean, in terms of um, the business visibility and impact, but as well as the number of different business teams that were involved in the process. So as you guys understand, that would also then translate to a lot more stakeholder complexity. And the renewals project is what we describe as one of a handful of anchor experiences. And by that, meaning that they are so critical to our success in um, winning customers over, in achieving our customer experience goals, and of course, tied very closely to the metrics that we track as an organization. Um, so the renewals process is, is that which, when customers go to renew their cell phone contracts, um, it that, that process is a span of several months. If you can imagine that many people can relate to this, coming upon the end of a two-year contract term, uh, we have communications that happen the months before then leading up just to, to enable the customers to make the right decisions, do the proper research, there's offers, and a lot of different touch points along the way. So this renewals project um, was one that our executive team wanted to take a service design approach, uh, building on some of the results that we had for much smaller engagements. So this is the one that we we got the acknowledgement with the SDN Global Award. I'm not sure I can necessarily, I'm not on the judging side, of course, necessarily say what um, what might have been the, the gain points in us getting yeah. the award, but we're certainly pleased and we know internally that it's been very successful and, and people have been very pleased with the results. And that in turn has led to um, even more growth and volume of service design projects throughout the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think I could speculate and maybe uh, build upon your point, Judy, which is uh, I think the the interesting thing about the challenge and I think what was attractive to it, uh, about it for the judges is that you had a, a situation where uh, it's a business problem that's incredibly expensive for the business. So right now, uh, the average customer, or before that, the average customer was phoning in seven times uh, using the most expensive channel. Uh, you know, and, and at the same time, you had incredibly low customer satisfaction scores. So you have the, the, the double whammy of having something that's both really annoying for customers and uh, and incredibly expensive uh, to, to service. So so it was a, a pretty monumental challenge uh, to go in and, and find a way to both drive up customer satisfaction customer experience scores and, and have, have it be a much more enjoyable experience. Uh, again, understanding that this is one of the critical anchor experiences for customers from their point of view. Uh, and at the same time, uh, to find a way to not do that without spending more money on the challenge, but to actually reduce cost in, in the process of increasing customer experience. Uh, so I think that our, the ability to, to, to work together, and I think it really speaks to the partnership and the understanding and the experience that came to this project to understand both the customer side and, and the business side and, and to be able to, to make something that, that was a real win-win. Uh, I, think that's what, um, I think that's what helped us win. Okay. And uh, are, you, are you able to quantify... Um, the success on both ends? Are you able to, to really measure uh, this business side and the customer satisfaction? Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I, yeah, I can talk to that a little bit and I'm, and I'm, and I'm being careful here specifically. So you hear me home and haw a little bit because obviously as a, a, um, profit entity that has very public results, um, I'm not trying to be, um, KG about some of the, the numbers, but I'm I'm not necessarily at liberty to give all of the uh, specific numeric metrics on this, and hopefully people and listeners can can appreciate why that is. But I will talk to um, just directionally some of the impacts we had. So uh, first off, and I'll and talk around about and just spew the metrics in terms of what they actually mean. So as Chris described, this is an important experience for us to get right. 
yet the coordination is difficult on so many levels because as people are researching what their new or rate plan, new device or rate plan options are, they're kicking the tires, is the term that we used. They're going into the stores, looking online, they're calling into our call centers. So there are many different touch points that are happening in the process of somebody leading up to the actual renewal of a contract. So the coordination of that and us being able to deliver a consistent experience across multiple channels represents the complexity. And I think we described this in some of the presentation that we gave in Madrid. Uh, We had made large investments into our digital channel, which weren't seeing the corresponding results that we had anticipated. And part of that is because we need to be considering not just what's happening within digital, but how that marries into all of the other touch points that the customer is going through of this experience. So I would just, in the way of certain metrics, we did see a positive um, renewal rates through the de- digital channels following this and then a new newly revised customer experience process for renewals. But we also saw things like increased uptake in there was two-way SMS messaging that was introduced as an alternative option for people to communicate beyond just calling in or going into a store and also supplemented people's self-serve capabilities through digital. And there was very positive uptake in that. What we found is people who used digital channel wanted other non-invasive means of communicating back and forth and the introduction of a two-way SMS enabled for that type of experience. We also saw a positive, uh, actually rather, we saw a decrease in the number of people who had to change rate plans or get credits post the renewal process. Um, so that again is um, a positive business metric. We saw positive um, reductions in the amount of call center agent time that was consumed uh, while, while people were researching or asking questions or, or clarifications through the call center channels. And if you imagine on scale for the number of renewals that we do across mobility another year, these all are additive and represent a very positive business impact, which for us as an organization is what is, makes it um, deems it a success. Mm-hmm. And did you actually um, decided on these uh, things that you were going to measuring measure at the beginning of the project, or was it something you realized after it was implemented, or was it really set as as goals in the beginning to, for example, reduce the time of the call centers, etc.? Yeah, I would say, and Chris, I just want to give Chris a chance to top up on my last points, but I, I would say there was a set of baseline metrics. Everything at TELUS is measured ad nauseum. We are a measurement uh, company, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, people want to, to know what the business results are and, and what the dollar impact is. Um, so there was a baseline of metrics that we regularly track for renewals that we were able to do the before and after comparisons. As well, we have uh, survey or customer experience we call top two box, bottom two box, likelihood to recommend, which is effectively like a net motor score. And tracking that, we saw um, positive improvements across the customer satisfaction as well as the business scores. And then there are some new metrics that were introduced, things such as a two-way SMS, which was a net new introduction into the process. We're seeing um, against other SMS usage when we do other marketing types of campaigns, again, showing like high, high um, um, uptake rates. So again, we had, though those weren't metrics that existed previously to us introducing the process, uh, post, we could also use other other comparison points to say, yes, this is, this is working and we're satisfied with it. Yeah, what you said that everything is measured at Telus. I'm curious uh, because you hear a lot of companies, also our clients, saying that quite often. But then, of course, it's also the the next step. Like, what do you do with all the data you gather? Do you have like a an internal department, or do you have people who are busy with that and who actually bring all those data to the different departments or people that uh, actually have to work with it? Or how does this process go? Yes. Yeah, so, so as I said, the The common phrase that we use within our organization is what gets measured gets managed. So that just gives you 
a flavor of just how metrics driven we are as an organization. And we do have large teams of people along with corresponding data systems. So we have data scientists and analysts whose sole responsibility is, is to look at the data sets and, and, um, provide the re- recommendations or analyses that are corresponding with that. I would say following this project or subsequent um, large technology and infrastructure changes in the way that we, we are um, amassing data and exposing it to different business units in a way that they can, they can leverage it even better than we had in the past. And I'm not by any means a data geek and not the one who could speak to in detail, but I knew there was a big project called the data lake effectively is what's the terminology used to tell us um, that that resulted from some of the work that was done on this renewals project. And I know in, in one of the early steps that we did in the, in the project, and I think speaking to your question uh, about, you know, you, you have all this data, but what do you do with it? Uh, the, the first phase in the project that we actually did, and I think it was really telling, um, was to bring together all of these different stakeholders from all the different functions uh, that were responsible or that somehow touched the renewal experience. And, and we brought them together and we, uh, we mapped out all of the different initiatives the, and the data that was being measured, the business-related data and the customer-related data. So we would ask people in you know, the marketing department that are sending emails out. We'd ask people in the IT department and uh, you know, people in the retail store and call centers and all these different touch points. We'd say, okay, when it comes to a renewal, um, what kind of initiatives, programs, uh, you know, ongoing or one-time do you have and, and what are you measuring um, related to it? And we did this as a large collaborative workshop. And, and it was very interesting because within that, uh, I, I think it became clear very quickly that uh, you had a lot of different versions of the truth. You know, and people measuring one piece of the puzzle uh, from their own perspective, from their own angle, and, and, and absolutely something that makes sense related to their part of the business, but, but not so much aggregated in a way that really encapsulated the end-to-end experience for, for customers. And, and I think it was very uh, telling and informative for us in this project to be able to both understand a baseline of what's there, what's being measured, uh, you know where where is value being placed, um, uh, and, but but I think more importantly, how are people thinking about this renewals process from their perspective and their group? What do they see as the as the the most important part of it, or or how do they how do they contemplate it? And I think that that having that as a baseline really was informative. I think to, to understand, you know, what do we need to measure to be successful? Um, what's already in place that's valuable that we don't need to invent through this process or that we can piggyback on somehow? Um, and, and, mm-hmm. and more importantly, how do we get all these people to, to collaborate, coordinate in the end so that the sum's greater than the parts? <laughs> because I think that, uh, as Judy was mentioning earlier, the you had a lot of uh, different people doing great things uh you know, and, and, and really renewal requires all of these different touch points to be orchestrated. If a customer feels like I can get a better price from one channel, then they will, they will migrate towards that channel and they will game the other people in the other channels and say, well, I heard I could get this price here. And, you know, from when I was on the phone and they'll go into the retail store. And then this just escalates the effort that's involved uh, in both from Thomas's perspective and actually servicing the customer and also from the, the, the amount of time and effort that goes into a customer going through. Um, so I think that that initial piece of bringing people together, really understanding their mental models, their initiatives, the kind of data that existed was, was very informative as a baseline uh, to, to help us ensure that the solution we came up with in the end, um, you know, built upon what was there, but also more importantly, um, worked in a way that that uh, fit with people's understanding of what it was. I remember that mm-hmm. that particular meeting or series of meetings. It was an eye-opening moment to sit as a one team and look at the entire journey in its totality with the business units 
for example, like that the customer is going through and get a real sense of both the effort and cost, both on the customer side and on the business side that's being incurred. If you think about the channel point of view, take a particular like a sales rep who go the actual process of, of servicing a renewal with the customer takes about 45 minutes in store. But then to marry that with what we saw in a journey of people spending time online, calling into the call center a couple of times, going into a store previous to the actual act of renewing and speaking with the rep, perhaps coming back and making either another call or going back online. Once you see that in its totality, then you get an appreciation of just how complex it is. But if you're seeing that strictly for in this example from a retail store perspective, you're not able to put together and say, okay, how can we collectively see what all the different interactions are and how our piece of the puzzle may either be aggravating the customer experience and causing downstream or further checkpoints along the way? Or am I capable at this point in time through having the right information or being equipped with the right training to be able to curtail or shorten the renewal cycle for the business and for the customer. So having that journey map presented to us in a way that we could see that end-to-end was a very effective and important point in time in the project for us. And I remember even after that meeting, there was, you know, there was a couple moments in that meeting where, you know, someone from BT, which is their kind of IT group internally, um, saying, you know, hey, you guys are measuring that or, or you're working on that project. We have data that's related to that or we have, you know, we have a program that's already underway that, that deals with that. And, and these connections, these organic connections started to be made within the organization uh, where, where people started yeah. to reconceptualize their relationship from, to one another as it relates to the customer. And I think that in order for these mm-hmm. projects particularly in one and one with so much complexity and so many different channels involved in order for these projects to be successful and to really be adopted by the organization in the long run, the, the people who are involved in these different functions need to understand how they need to collaborate and work together to deliver on that experience. And, and you can come up with the, the most aesthetically pleasing you know, experience for the end user and, it, and but if the people delivering it internally, the people managing it internally don't understand how they need to relate to one another, how they need to work together differently, then and then it's doomed to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's people will quickly reset to their old way of working once the project is over. And so these these kinds yeah. of collaborations will be critical for success. Yeah, I think that's very recognizable that we also sometimes have. Uh, have those meetings, those workshops where we bring together a lot of different departments and then you realize that they're like, oh, I didn't know that. And it's a very uh, positive vibe at the end. But then, of course, the most difficult part of the next step (laughs) uh, comes that we also keep on uh, bringing those people together and also make sure that the things they share during that uh, workshop, they're actually going to do something and not be overwhelmed by the complexity of the whole journey that they saw, but see uh, some of the improvements that they could make uh, together. How did you manage uh, that next step after that workshop? So you detected all the interesting uh, things on what they could collaborate and what could improve between the different touch points, but how did you make sure that then the next step was the right one uh, to take? Well, I think, you know, I'm a big believer that, that authorship is ownership. And, and I think when you go through this kind of process, uh, including people and really understanding, you know, what, what's important to them, what are they being measured on, what, you know, what's, their, what's the scope of their roles and responsibilities. Uh, and then as you conceptualize, as you co-create, your your initiative or you know your end solution that they're brought along and and that they're helping create it and they understand it um we were really conscious again given the the complexity of stakeholders the amount of um disruption that a solution of this magnitude in the organization would create uh to to include people so we for example we ran um you know co-design sessions we brought in executives uh you know, 
as part of that, um, we brought in people responsible for the different functions. So they were in the room, they could really understand. Uh, and there were examples of people from, you know, people responsible for the digital channel leaving the room with the, the concept, you know, the, the kind of sketches or, you know, lo-fi prototypes we created in these co-design sessions and taking them away and already starting to work on them to implement them. And, and I think that that, um, this kind of, um, uh, you know, relentless, uh, uh, practical approach of thinking about how is this going to work for the people who are involved? Um, do they see the value? Do they understand how it's going to work for them? Um, I think we were really conscious that, that we needed to create something that would work for them. Um, and then that they were brought along. I, I'd say that. And, and I think another, uh, I, an initiative of this, um, size really i think we we were kind of at the perfect storm time as well where there was there was some change going on within the organization it was recognized that there was a um a need for this there was a new department that was being formed um i think that that uh often when you're working within institutions and and if the it's very set that the functions are set and people are in a routine and they're kind of used to the way they're working um that can create a bit of inertia around these things. I think I, I have to say, you know, one thing that I think really worked for us is that there was some internal um, change that was occurring at this time, which we were able to uh, use as a as a way to to inform that change in order for it to align more around around the customer experience. So, so I think it was you know this kind of um, being really practical and relentless, really including people, and as well using the kind of disruption that was occurring and the changes that were occurring internally as a, as a launching pad for this new initiative. Maybe I could just build on that just in terms of the perfect storm that Chris described. He's right in the sense that there were business pressures that were occurring. We in the, I'd say maybe not quite a decade, but for a number of years prior to this renewal's project getting underway had started to rethink customer experience as being the only real way to differentiate ourselves in an increasingly competitive marketplace where pricing can be matched overnight. We're all carrying the same devices. So there's um, homogeny in terms of the actual device offerings that are available and understanding that customer service was making investments um, in, in improving our service experience was, was a long, a long game. And then it became a matter of what are new methods and thinking that needs to go along with that to be introduced to the people who are working on, on making improvements, whether you're person in finance or IT or the person that's taking the calls or working in store, like what does that effectively mean in the way of different ways that they're going to be tackling their roles and, and jobs? So, so, so when we talk about, again, the forces that were at play, it was also regulatory um, pressures that were happening. So we had, we had CRTC, which is Canadian Radio Down and technology communications um, as a government body um, looking into the telecom operate operators and, and affecting new policies um, and directly impacting the renewals experience. And then lastly, there was oral changes that were organizational changes that were happening. So this is happening in a, a climate and we were in a point in time where there was an openness to, to try new methods and understanding that collaboration um, and improving the employee experience working on these these anchor projects was the means and way to improve the customer experience. So that's the perfect storm that Chris was describing. And I think your question around you know, what do we do after coming together as a team and seeing this full journey, uh, we follow a lot of the classic service design things that we all hear, know, and appreciate um, things like putting the initiatives map together. Obviously, this isn't something that got drummed up overnight. So there were already many people working on renewals and different initiatives. So getting a good bird's eye view around what are all the different endeavors that were already in place or planned in the roadmap. And 
and then understanding, okay, when we marry that up with the customer journey and the pain points that we solve for, which ones are are already underway. And then as Chris says, then focusing our efforts on where the gap's still existing and can we ideate and then bring customers in to help flesh up the solutions in much more detail. Yeah. And, so, and, and there was a prioritization that occurred there correct. as well, because you can imagine something of this size. So there were, there were things, for example, around, um, we knew, for example, when people were offered, um, their, their first, the, the, the renewal, um, contract, uh, we knew that that moment was really critical. And that if you, um, presented the wrong offer to people for renewal, they would escalate into really high research behavior. So for example, if you've been a customer and you're used to a plan of, you know, $75 and they come back and say, okay, well, we're going to renew you. It's going to be $150 now per month. And, and uh, then, then people would immediately escalate if they didn't understand how it related to their, their particular usage. Um, but we, we also found that if you actually told people, you know, here's what your usage has been, here's where you're going over, where you're under when it comes to different elements of your, your contract, that that would de-escalate that behavior and that they were much more likely to renew. Uh, so we knew that that component was really critical and that was the starting point. So, so when we went initially into the test market and went out, that was something we started with. You know, there were other things, for example, um, unboxing, you know, we knew, well, we're going to dramatically increase the amount of online renewals. That means people are going to have it delivered at home. Uh, we don't want to all, you know, create a painful setup process where they end up having to call in and go to the store because they don't understand. So let's make a really elegant unboxing experience where it's easy to set up. And, and, um, and so those things came, uh, were part of the plan and ultimately part of that end to end experience, but they came later. So we were able to prioritize some of the elements that were uh, going to drive the most significant results when it came to what was important to the business and important to the customer. So we knew these kind of escalating um, and annoying behaviors that were expensive and annoying for customers, um, which ones we could focus on first and then which we could we could uh, come afterwards. And, and that was part of this roadmap that, that was put together. Uh, and, and I think another thing we, you know, this um, the initial project, you know, it was it was over uh, I can't you know four or five months something like that. Um, the you know just the initial kind of push of what was happening, but this went on afterwards, and I know we continued to you know there was a Friday standing call, and you know this was this was something that um, continued to to go on for uh, months and months afterwards. To, to launch so and then there was other projects that came on afterwards so um i think there was also a a longer term perspective that was taken and i think that's a real advantage of having a partnership with an internal team you know i think that 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 the the experience and and pers- like point of view that judy and her team have of being able to understand how the organization works who's involved how decisions are made um you know, all these things are, are really critical and as well to be, to, to be able to continue to be involved and to be able to continue to, to steward um, this project. Um, had it been an external team, I mean, we would have been, um, you know, powerless to really influence it beyond the scope of our engagement. So, so I think that there was a really nice kind of synergy there. I'm going to pick up and elaborate on a couple of those points if I may. So Chris, thank you for that. That's, that's gives a really good perspective in terms of some of the very specific initiatives and as well, if we can at some point elaborate on just some of the, we talked about metrics earlier, some of the things that are hard to measure and not often um, touted as being one of the positive uh, benefits of applying design. But if I just rewind a little bit, the Chris described this notion of mistrust and, and how, how quickly that, that can uh, become the seed for, subsequent interactions that then perhaps needlessly take place. Just that one example of there's a recommendation that's made to a client on you're you're coming up for renewal. Here's, here's a set of device offers along with rate plans. Uh, What we invested in one of the main priorities that came out of that uh, driven from the insights that we did was just, again, explaining the why, how did that decision 
how do we arrive at that decision and recommendation for the client? So making available information around here's your past usage over the last three months. And as well, here are the latest devices that are on the same operating system that you seem to, to prefer. And then giving people that information to say, and people don't have an appreciation in terms of how much overage or how, how they're actually using their data against a rate plan that they may have signed up to a couple of years ago. And we've heard that time and time again. My data needs have changed. All of a sudden, Pokemon Go has come, and then that's eating up a lot more data that I didn't anticipate when I first signed up to this, or so on, right? So, equipping people with that information and and saying, like, this is this is for you, like this is optimized for you, and making it feel personalized, and then saying, here's why we're making the rate plan recommendations. We are that could very effectively curtail a lot of like one ill feelings as well as subsequent interactions that are necessary because you're putting the why behind behind a, a, a transaction point in time. And then as Chris says, there were prioritized initiatives, that being one of them. And then things like the open box experience, which we said, hey, this would be a nice to do later down the line. As you can appreciate, this is a massive program that still runs today. So it's not like the project is done and, and, and we've and this team's moved on. We as service design teams have gone onto the projects, but there's a massive engine within Talus that works renewals as a program today. And some of those are still into effect. But things like the un- unboxing was a nice to do. That was um, once people have made their decisions and the, the devices often a moment of delight. People just love getting their brand shiny new devices. And then again, the letter that goes inside when, when it arrives is personalized and so on. It just adds nice icing on the cake. And that was something that we said, hey, we'd like to do that, but that's not with the low-hanging fruit most critical things to address here. So when we talk about how we organized mm-hmm. it, there was, again, after ideation, co-creation, here are the things that we want to work on, what are the things in the order of priority, and then who owns these initiatives. So I think the, the personalization of the offer, um, things like new mechanisms such as two-way SMS, and then as well, we worked, uh, one of the big priorities was also uh, something within the channels that helped equip the reps with the same types of information. So Chris comes in saying, okay, thank you for your business, which is really important, saying Chris is a customer for 10 years. That was People absolute, really don't that was, That's an absolute moment of Like if, if you just, if you say, if you say even that, yeah. it all of a sudden just, it, it sets the tone for mm-hmm. real positive conversation. Thank you for your business. And we would equip the rep on that dashboard with that to say, and then train them to say, thank Chris for his business, right? He's, he's, whether it's two years, three years, people enjoy that. So that automatically that makes that conversation on the right foot. And then again, having the available information for Chris available to the rep so that they can side by side have an informed conversation about the needs and make the decision together really help Again, the in-channel experience, which which is a flow through from, say, the original email um, email that went out. So again, you can see how all these things tie together, and then we we talk about delighted down the road, they're opening box, and it's it's further reinforced. So these are the types of things very specifically that came out of this, and then I would say just like the the positive uh, the positive working rapport that 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 became the basis for the team to go on and continue working as they t- do today it was one of those benefits that we mm-hmm. perhaps didn't anticipate or our sellers sell hard, hard enough yeah. when we started. Well, and I mean, and it's easy in retrospect to say that this was, uh, you know, we, you know, we found these great business opportunities and, and customer opportunities. I could say that going on the project, it felt like a insurmountable mount, like mountain to climb and that it was really, um, you know, a, a lot of dedication and, and I think the, a lot of, I think there was, and, and I think there was conflict with, between our teams, but there was like, especially early on as we were getting to work together, but I think there was honesty and there was uh, shared interest in the outcome and this kind of, uh, how do we just keep working towards this outcome together? And I think as a result, um, we were really able to to just keep iterating and trying and digging deeper and finding these things. Um, so I think by the time we got in to talk to decision makers, we were we had really tested it out ourselves and we'd really vetted it and we we felt a high degree of confidence that 
the things we had come up with were both going to be useful to the business, useful to customers. And I think that that, um, you know, really determination and focus on trying to find those those overlaps where there's value for both. Um, because I think it's easy to create value for customers at the expense of business or to, to save money for the business at the expense of customers. I think where you can create value for both, that's it's such a hard um you know, sliver of, of opportunity and, uh, and it really requires a lot of focus and a lot of dedication from the teams uh, to get to it. So, so one thing I, I wanted to ask about, uh, you touched upon it just for a moment, uh, Judy. So do you have a, a service design team uh, working with you at TELUS or, or do you work mostly with external service designers? I have a team of 10 and we seem, as I say, like a team of 50 <laughs> at times. I say we, we're like a mouse that has a light cast and you see the shadow behind it. Uh, just because we, we have close relationships with the top service design firms within, uh, within Canada, uh, Bridgeable being one of them, of course. And as our project funnel increases, I was going to say, or decreases, but that's just never the case. Uh, we we flex flex our partnerships up and down. We, um, we leverage these partnerships to take on the projects that, that we do. I'd say we're almost, yeah, always not without some kind of um, vendor or partner engagement going on. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you always prefer to have a, an internal service designer on a project or is it sometimes beneficial to have an external partner? Our staffing is largely such that we have two leads within my team that work with any partnership engagement. Um, so again, providing as Chris alluded to earlier, this internal external view. So if you have, it's important to have folks who understand the organization, how to navigate within the organization, even when you're paired with, with a, an agency partner. There are benefits, of course. For example, the last year we took on a couple of projects with our human resources team that um, that dealt with employee advocacy and the effectiveness of communications that happens within our organization with a view to how can we make improvements in this area. And in that specific example, there's benefits to having an external partner working with you on that, just because there's a sense of objectivity that perhaps an internal team um, may not may not get yeah. the earnesty of so you're having conversations with people around mm-hmm. aspect of their life where they spend a lot of time. I remember this was a discussion at the conference as well that people, I remember one slide, uh, I'm not sure from which speaker it was, but it said like, uh, that's to the consultants, uh, consultancies. So they made the point that they didn't believe in external uh, consultancy anymore, but that service design always needed to come from within the organization. But I find your approach also very interesting. Like you have a, you have a team. Uh, but you sometimes just bring in uh, external uh, views to work together and to collaborate on a project. I think that's a very uh, strong way of working as well. Yeah, and I would I would say, honestly, I, I, if I had a chance to do it all over again, um, I, I would always structure it like this, even if mm-hmm. I were given quite a large team. I think, uh, one, having a connectedness to external partners that bring, as you, as you can appreciate, design methods are evolving and, and change and there's, there's a newness to new techniques and apply techniques in different contexts and having an external partner who offers us a lens that's outside just the, the uh, projects that we have internally is helpful mm-hmm. for us to stay fresh and current in our thinking. Yeah. And as well, I can obviously this is specifically for TELUS. Um, there are areas or skills that just does not make sense for us to necessarily build in house. So where we need to augment or specifically go out for skills that um, that we are choosing deliberately not to to build in house. Mm-hmm. Um, things such as like, people, we do our own ethnography as a team for smaller engagements, but where there's complex ethnography, you need people who are trained anthropologists, sociologists, and human behavior 
and and we always assess a project and say, okay, this this needs the work of experts to come in who are who are skilled and educated in this. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where we go out. Uh, complex visual design. I don't have that skill uh, trainings when you're mapping very complex systems and want the the visual design to accompany that. Again, I don't have that skill in house, and I would partner with folks like Bridgeport mm-hmm. to to supplement our our skills and bring that to the table. And, yeah. and I'd say as well, like from the from the you know um, consultancy side, uh, you know, someone's asked me before, what's the biggest success factor? For a project, you know, an internal stakeholder asking this, you know, hey, I work in a big organization, what's the most important success factor? And it's having an internal champion who understands the organization and is committed to success. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure you, you can appreciate it as practitioners. Uh, with, with that internal person who understands the methods, understands the business, um, knows how things work and is really committed to ensuring the success of that project, it's very, very difficult as an external consultant to come in and achieve yeah. success because you're only able to involve and shape things so much. Um, you know, you, you, I, I think the, the real, the, the, the marriage of having an internal team and an external team where they, where they understand that they know, they know the, Organizational stakeholders, they understand the processes and systems, they understand business planning, um, you know, even where the sources of data are, uh, and, and they understand the methodology and they're, and they're facile with the methodology. Um, well, one thing, for example, that came up in our project was um, a desire to minimize the amount of research that was done in the beginning. And, and I know this is something Judy's dealt with a lot is um, people don't understand. They, they, they would like to extract certain parts of the process. They don't, they don't understand, you know, that you can't just jump to the end. Well, can't you just give me a solution, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think uh, that kind of pressure would be, uh, if for somebody who doesn't understand it, isn't experienced, um, doesn't understand how, how the process works, I think it'd be a lot easier for them to, to uh, you know, cave under that pressure. But I think to have an internal champion who understands it, understands how the methodologies yeah. work, uh, also understands the internal politics and landscapes is really important. Yeah, I, it's funny that you mentioned this uh, about the uh, internal champion because I was writing the article together uh, for the episode that we had uh, together with you and in Madrid. And this is one of the things I actually wrote in the article <laughs> to come along with this uh, episode is that it's very important that's something we learned during this interview to actually um, to have this internal champion because if you don't have it, the project will just... Uh, not be successfully implemented and after time it will just uh, disappear so i it's i also thought that was that was struck in my mind as well uh, that this is very important and to be honest i would love to work with um internal service designers uh, in companies in belgium so far we didn't have uh, the we never worked with people inside an organization who actually had the role as a service designer. We do have some people who do research or who are in charge of the user experience, but it's still, it's a little bit, yeah, they have a different approach. And I'm really looking forward myself uh, as a designer in a consultancy uh, to actually collaborate with people who both know the whole internal um to have the an internal knowledge of the organization but also uh practice um service design and to also uh, understand what these processes mean i think that would be amazing to work <laughs> uh, to collaborate then on projects and you can really strengthen uh, each other yeah i mean i think our like our relationships our best relationships are, are ones where they're with internal teams that that understand the methods where they have a team set up um, typically what happens is, as, as is the case, I think, with Judy, that the success of a project leads to more projects. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, that um, consultancy sometimes fear is, well, if I work with these guys, they're going to, you know, somehow learn everything we do and, and, and yeah. the magic is gone. Um, but but my, my experience is that actually, no, go in, let, you know, do your best work, show, you know, show what you can do because, your ability to do great work will and, and make them be successful will lead to much more work down the road, mm-hmm. which means more work for everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, th- I think that um, 
that that uh, uh, you know, and, and I think that as well, you know, there's a bigger um, there are bigger changes that are going on here uh, within the way organizations are run and institutions are run, where the, the rise of these kinds of methods are really well suited to dealing with. You know, there's a lot of transformation in how organizations work, a lot more concern with customer experience. I mean, this is this is becoming the currency in, in, in the 21st century of our economy. So. I think the larger picture is there's going to be such a need for these kinds of skills uh, and, and organizations are going to be much more focused on this. Um, so, so, you know, my experience is that these are really great relationships that tend to be real, uh, really great for both sides of, of the partnership. Um, and as well, I think in the case of um, uh, Judy and, and, and myself and, and I think our organizations, um, uh, moreover, is that we're also part of enabling a community. You know, we're we're involved in helping fund things. Yeah, you know, research within the university, with um, helping bring up the the next generation of, of designers, with helping do educational thing. Uh, you know, promotion and, and, and kind of marketing service design itself as well. And um, and so I think that th- there's a real benefit um, if people go in with the, the right attitude of, you know, a sense of, Hey, there's lots of opportunity for everyone. Um, your success is my success. Uh, and, uh, and there's going to be, you know, really there's going to be more need than we can fulfill in the future. So let's, let's kind of collaborate. It can actually lead to a lot. And I, and I think if you look back, uh, I remember we were on a panel together, um, uh, or, or a moderated panel with you, I don't care, four years ago or something like that. And to think back then, and how much the scene has changed where that was, you know, kind of felt like we were these advocates trying to, you know, uh, preaching this thing that, you know, um, uh, you know people barely understood. Um, and now uh, where, you know, it's like it's hard to keep up with the demand of the work. Um, things have changed a lot. I'm 100% aligned to everything Chris just said to take the broader strategic view across the practice. There, this isn't going away. They need to differentiate and and have elevated service experiences for customers, regardless of what industry you're in. That will only compound as we become mired in more complex technologies, um, people's demands. Um, become <laughs> more demanding and the the view that you know, partnerships will curtail business is exactly the opposite if anything it's there's no shortage of work and as we do this work it exposes more work to be done and it just grows and then if you think about the broader economic view for designs of practice it means that the demands for skills then um, they increase uh, then students in turn look to to acquire these skills in the institutions that are teaching it. So even within the Toronto community where we do a large part of our work, um, we've seen <laughs> a bit of competitiveness just to get yeah. the best and brightest minds. <laughs> we're all trying to find yeah, I know. Often just, interviewing just, the same people. Yeah, <laughs> come yeah. up. And then if mm-hmm. I think around the work that our team has taken on and just the the compound growth in the projects and the reach we've had as a team across our organization. We are no longer just doing kind of the straightforward, um, you know, took on usability projects in our mm-hmm. early days, but we are taking on more complex tasks such as uh, ones through our enterprise teams where they're servicing um, government projects, um, asking us to come in and, and help them with, like large scale citizen issues. Um, that's impressive. And I would have never had the audacity a number of years back to think that we could be working on things like that. And then working on challenges, a recent one we're partnering with um, OCAD, uh, Ontario uh, College of Art and Design, Art and Design mm-hmm. uh, on how we improve accessibility uh, within our retail environments, which is not just a, a TELUS issue to deal with if you think about improve um, our experiences for people with accessibility needs such as hearing or, or visual impairment or physical uh, disabilities that doesn't start with when people cross a lease line into one of our stores that starts with what the journey is like either 
helping them do research online and making that experience accessible, everything through to like public transportation, enabling that to be an accessible experience. They can actually get into your stores with the parking situation and so on. So I know mm-hmm. uh, versus doing some work with, with, um, with public transportation here in Toronto. So these things, like, again, have a way of bringing together people in the design community as the scope and scale and the importance of the projects grow. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think it also just makes a case in general to it's all valuable to share insights and share your best practices uh, with the community. Um, before we uh, round off, I'd like to ask you one more final question. Um, now you've won this award. Uh, what does this mean to your two organizations? I mean, for me, it was, uh, for, it's, it, it feels really, really, really good. <laughs> I gotta say, <laughs> I gotta say it's, it's, uh, um, to be recognized, um, by, uh, you know, the global community of service designers. It's, uh, it's really like a dream come true in a lot of ways. Um, I, I have such um, respect for the people involved in the community and, uh, you know, and, and as well, I feel like the, it's the great thing in my, in my experience participating with the service design network and service design community in large is, is that there's a real generosity, a real openness. I think the, this, you know, even the experience of the conference, the, the kind of content and that's shared, um, you know, I, I feel like I've learned so much and, and I appreciate the community so much that um, to be uh, recognized by them, I mean, it's, uh, it really, it's, it really, it really feels great. And I mean, I think for our organization, um, it, it's, I think the testament to a lot of years of, uh, of, of taking chances and, and making investments in areas that we weren't sure if they were actually going to pay off or not. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, we started practicing service design um, seven or eight years ago and, and, you know, experimenting with the methods and then um, participating in the global community and, um, you know, trying to do our own research and try things and experiment and push and trying to generate a community around this. So I think that in those early days, you, you know, you're really, um, you're working hard and you're trying things and and i think that you're hoping that um you know you're you're it'll get recognized um but but i think that it's a real uh testament to the amount of hard work and the amount of effort that people here have put into the craft because i think that the the only reason that we're able to do that is because people just kept at it and kept trying and doing more projects and trying something that didn't work failed and then trying something again and then getting better at that and just protecting their craft over time. So, so I think it's a real testament to the amount of effort and time to live with craft. And I'd say it's, I mean, of course the work doesn't stop and we do great work and my team, there are a lot of folks that are living the projects and, and striving to always deliver the results for, for any project or internal client. So that doesn't go away because we won the award, but it definitely is a validation to, as Chris mentioned, some of the real stresses and, and probably people who are cynical or skeptical rather might be a better word of the work that we were doing. So it it gives us maybe legitimacy might not be the right word, but I know we've painted perhaps a rosy picture of, of this particular project, there were real moments of crises where we mm-hmm. come together and say, how do we reset? Or we're, yeah. we're seeing this happen. Or we're seeing a loss of, of um, patience or, and so on. Like we're doing a long stretch before we're able to, to deliver the results. Like this project itself was in early 2015. So we're now we're here a couple of years later and being able to tell the impacts it had. But in those early days, we have a lot of folks who are impatient and wanting they're wanting to see almost right away while you're still very much in, in the discovery mode. What are you going to do for me? How much money is this going to, to save? Like how are the customer satisfaction scores going to improve? So dealing up that pressure and having come through it on the other side and getting an award just 
feels really validating for the team. And as just a top on what Chris said, just gives us gives a sense perhaps that the things what we were doing and the work that we're doing isn't like made up. It's not experimental. <laughs> it's a true craft that is recognized on, on a global scale. And now we've been got the moniker of a, a global award-winning service design team. This is what some of the internal communications around the team says. And that feels nice. And I, I do think we're deserving of, of celebrating that for all the hard work and, and, and bloodshed that's, that's come before this time. <laughs> Well, and well deserved. Um, if uh, people want to uh, reach out to you, uh, find more information about this uh, project, uh, where can they find you online? Uh, they could go to our website, which is bridgeable.com, uh, or they could reach out to me if they wanted. They could email me at chrisf at bridgeable.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn under Judy Mallet, so relatively easy to find, and people can reach out to me direct as well. Judy at talus.com. All right. As uh, usual, we'll add all these uh, links to uh, servicedesignpodcast.com so people can uh, can easily find them. Um, well, I want to thank you two uh, very much for getting together and uh, having this conversation with us. I think it was very insightful um, and uh, wish you all the best and enjoy uh, celebrating the award. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much. Nice speaking with you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. The Service Design Podcast was brought to you by the Service Design Network and Night Moves. For more information, previous episodes, or to join the conversation, please visit servicedesignpodcast.com. For more information about the Service Design Network, visit service-design-network.org. And for Night Moves, visit nightmoves.be. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to this podcast. The intro and outro music is from If the Stars Grow Dim Tonight, by Hydrogen C featuring I Will I Swear. Until next time.